Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more t- great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. On Twitter, you can shoot us an email. LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams every game day Saturday. We'll have one this Saturday. Getting ready to watch the West Virginia Mountaineers. But my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who refuses to let country roads take him home. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm almost positive I've told this anecdote on this podcast, but it's worth telling again. I might, heck, I might tell it every year during this game. I was in Atlanta, happened to be there for the the kickoff of college football. I think it was called the Chick-fil-A Classic at the time. I don't know if it still is, but it was Alabama versus West Virginia. Clint Trickett years, um, uh, West Virginia. And um, it was a lot of rammer jammers. I mean, they were crowding the team bus. I went into the CNN headquarters and they have this um escalator that goes up like 10 stories it's pretty it's pretty majestic maybe even more um and i I was riding it up to go take the tour and it was all these bama fans just rammer jamming whatever and this one guy and i kid you not in a coonskin cap stands up on one of the tables in the cafeteria and i'm i'm soaring higher and higher above him and is the most majestic sound but he starts belting out the most haunting rendition of take me home country roads and every alabama fan just hushes and quiets while this man sings to probably an audience of 2000 uh and i'm riding up this escalator just like wondering how i'm witnessing my own destiny play out before me because that's exactly who i want to be on my best day but uh I i will never hate west virginia entirely um they can horns down me they can, you know, beat me on a two-point conversion play and, and break my heart, but I will always have a little bit of respect for that guy. West Virginia is the weird cousin of the Big 12, <laughs> and I say that with all of the love and affection I can muster. Like, I absolutely love those guys. Like, they're so crazy. They're so out there. It's just... it. it it doesn't, and and I think our West Virginia folks would probably agree with this, but like it's weird for them to be part of the Big Twelve. But now that they're here, they're family, and we're like, yeah, they're they're one of us now. It's just it's just so odd to me. But um, we're doing all this West Virginia talk because obviously Texas is going to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers this Saturday, and kind of a. Um, a win and keep going situation in the Big 12. Texas kind of controls its own destiny. All the teams they face for the rest of the year, they need to win to keep their hopes for the Big 12 championship alive. And so West Virginia is next up on the list. West Virginia currently sits at 4-2 and two on the year, 3-2 and two in conference play. They lost to Oklahoma State to, op- to open conference to conference opener, beat Baylor 27-21 in overtime, beat Kansas 38-17. They lost to Tech. 34 to 27 and then beat Kansas State. And when I say beat, I do not say that likely. 37 <laughs> to 10. Now Kansas State dealing with some uh, injury issues at quarterback, but uh, still a 27 point victory is quite a bit. But uh, West Virginia, unlike the Dana Holgerson years, where West Virginia would win because they would just randomly drop like 70 on somebody, um, West Virginia is actually a defensive juggernaut this year. And we're actually going to start with the defense because I think y- you have to look at, at West Virginia, um, who's giving up 
uh, basically 33 points for game per game, which in points per game is kind of a a misleading stat, especially in the Big 12, uh, just because people score, right? People score mm-hmm. a lot of points, um, and then you'll have a game like you know an overtime game that floats those floats those averages. So um, when you look at at Advanced statistics, I know some of you rolling your eyes, but bear with me here. Um, West Virginia is giving up just 1.3 points per drive, which is number 14 in the country. And so, so when you look at advanced statistics, you look at points per drive. Um, the number two is the is the number that pays on defense. Two is good, and, and if you talk to a lot of betters, it's actually something that they look at when they're looking at like predicting who wins. And so, West Virginia is hitting 1.33. Which is well below it's number fourteen in the country. Um, as a point of comparison, Texas offensively is averaging about two point seven, two point eight points per drive. So this is really going to be a strength on strength matchup, I think, uh, as the Texas offense squares away, squares off against the uh, West Virginia Mountaineers defense. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, you're right. It is a it is a very good Mountaineers defense. I always joke that in in the Big 12 media day, Neil Brown, basically, maybe he's, a, maybe he was playing it down. Maybe he was trying to get expectations lowered, but in his, not as many words basically said that they're not a good team this year. Um, and I think that might be true for their offense, but we'll see. We could talk more about that, but their defense truly is good. It's going to be probably uh, as good as, as the, the Oklahoma state defense that, you know, gave Texas all kinds of fits and problems uh, just last week. Right. I, I, I think um, probably, Similar to Oklahoma's to Oklahoma State, though uh, West Virginia has played Oklahoma State, so that's you know there is at least one other comparable kind of high level, high octane, potentially elite offense that they have faced in Oklahoma State. I do think that Texas on its best day, which it didn't show this past Saturday, is maybe the better offense all told. I don't know. Oklahoma State's not bad, but um, Oklahoma State was able to win that game, and I think Texas has to do some things in this game where they emulate a bit of that. Um, that game plan and they come and, 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 and make sure that they, they don't turn the ball over. They make sure that they don't give anything up to the West Virginia offense. And, and, you know, they attack that West Virginia defense all day and, you know, just, uh, just kind of where you see cracks, you take them and they need to be opportunistic this week. Um, and I think that's, that's the way that they, they get to a victory, uh, on Saturday. It's going to be the things that we've talked about all year, Kyle, when, when you look at the West Virginia defense against the Texas offense, can the offensive line hold up against the pass rush to a point that Sam Ellinger doesn't have to run for his life, right? Will the, will the, will the Stills brothers um, just wreak havoc in the backfield, right? Mm-hmm. Will, they, um, will they absolutely just get in Sam's grill? Will that right side of the offensive line hold up? Will Texas be able to convert on third downs? They have been real stingy on third downs, 28 of 64, which if you're a math kind of person, that's a 33% uh, third down conversion defense. Red zone in the red zone, one, they've only had nine red zone attempts this year, which is a mind-boggling number in and of itself. But that is, that is something to, to keep an eye on, is that they've given up seven scores, five of which were touchdowns in those five, in those nine red zone trips. So if you can make it to the red zone, which... Right. Big if at this point, you're probably going to come away with some points. And so, again, can Texas uh, turn those red zone chances like 
they were kind of able to do against Oklahoma State, where they were gifted the ball in the red zone on a lot of occasions, or close to the red zone. Can they turn those opportunities into points? I think that's going to continue to be the story. Is like the it, it's starting to feel like a broken record in these previews, where it's like, can the Texas offensive line hold up against this pass rush? Can Texas convert on third downs? And the crazy thing about it is you said no to both of those things and you won against Oklahoma state. So I'm curious to see what this offense can do and what they can fix uh, week to week as Oklahoma state found some success. Oklahoma state defense found some success against Texas. So I'm trying to see, I'm curious to see what, and again, especially along the offensive line, what Texas can do to try to at least flip the script a little bit. So again, the one thing I I say is, is sample size bias, right? I think Kansas being on your schedule inflates all of your numbers. I think that, you know, they, played Eastern Kentucky they played a you know a team that's obviously not as not as good as uh UTEP with the equivalent opener they've played a Baylor team that that I think is just very bad on offense um so they've played Kansas State without the quarterback that was the Kansas State team that looked like it could you know throw a wrench in the Big 12 plans and they've played Oklahoma State so What's the like? What's the takeaway here? I think almost you look at the the, the game previous to Kansas State, where where um, it was pretty much a back and forth shootout between Tech um, in in West Virginia, and they did limit a obviously potent Tech offense, but again without Alan Bowman um, to thirty four points, but were only able to muster twenty seven. So I, to me, against a bad Tech defense, if you only put up twenty seven, it tells me that Texas has the the kind of shootout weapons. I would like to see Texas run straight at that defensive line and try to get, um, take away some of the pass, uh, rush threat of the of the the the, the formidable the stills uh formidable rush i mean i think they're averaging like four sacks a game on that defense and so if texas can run at them and not let them we talked about it in our recap of oklahoma state when texas was able to play bully ball and force oklahoma state to be a passing team it's easier for your speed defensive ends or your power interior linemen to pin their ears back and get after a quarterback um Texas needs to establish something with Bijan and Roshan and, and, you know, do as much to take the hits and the pressure off Sam and, and really not force it to where he's throwing again. Like we talked about what Herman doesn't want 40 or 50 times uh, a game because we can't get the run game going and, 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 you know, limiting our passing because our line isn't able to give him three seconds clean in the pocket against a, a good pass rush. So to me against this defense, you need to be varied, but you just need to execute. I think, I think Texas has enough weapons and enough firepower. And even without Whittington back this week, they, they, they have enough. I mean, we're going to say it right here, folks, Wiley hive, uh, assemble. Let's use yeah, the weapons like- that we do have exploit the matchups that we do have. I think Jake Smith looks great in the slot. Uh, let's 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 use that. Let's I don't think the corners will be anywhere as good on this West Virginia team um, and, and probably won't employ as much man coverage as what they saw against Oklahoma State. So let's see Josh Moore, you know, get back to making, you know, wild dunk on you catches in, in midair um, when he's he's got to step on people. Um, I, I see this actually as maybe a chance for a little bit of a rebound again as long as they can keep a step up in the line, keep Sam healthy or scheme for that and just get the ball out of his hands quick or run, you know, effectively run some screen passes or draws those things you do against active uh, pass rushing fronts. I would love to see Texas because I guarantee you West Virginia is going to dial up the pressure mm-hmm. like first couple of plays. I would love to see them run your traditional like first screen you ever learned in middle school, like just quarterback drops back three steps, dumps it over a defender's head and let Bijan find some space and let Bijan do what Bijan do. Uh, but really I think the, 
to me, I think one of the things that I really want to pay attention to is what I like, what I call like the second order results of a good pass rush, and that's interceptions. And I think when when a team is able to get uh, a good pass rush, which West Virginia does quite effectively, I think a lot of West Virginia's pass rush results in turnovers. I think their their pass rush. You may not always get to the quarterback, but it's going to affect the pass. And West Virginia has nine, nine stinking interceptions in six games. That is a massive number of interceptions. So, and let's be honest, Sam has the penchant to throw one dumb one a game. Like sometimes he gets punished for it, sometimes he doesn't, but the dumb one is always there. And so I want to see, can Texas or can Sam really keep himself from throwing the dumb one when the pressure happens? Because it's, it's. It is a completely false understanding that West Virginia is not going to get to the quarterback. That's what West Virginia does. They get to the quarterback. So can Texas keep a bad play from turning into a disaster? Can Texas keep a Sam rolls out, tries to do too much, rather than giving up the ghost and throwing it away, setting up a second and 25, right? Can Sam not force a pass that gets intercepted into a tight window because he's got a defender in his face, right? That's, to me, the bigger thing because Texas has shown this year that when they get behind the change, the drive is over, right? If, if, it's, if they're not on schedule, you can, count, you can chalk that up most times. We'll call it eight times out of ten. It's going to be a punt. And so for me, I think those second-order results of a pass rush, again, getting behind the chains and – creating turnovers that that are unforced errors are the things that I really want to see and I'm curious to see uh, and really give me some pause as Texas gets ready to face um, West Virginia. Texas offense executing will be the difference between you're a bit more of a this is going to be a close one pessimistic and I think Texas has a chance to to, to come away feeling better but I think it, like you said it all hinges on how we execute how, how we game plan of course but how we get out there and execute uh, against a very talented unit so switching flipping sides um, the Texas defense as they they face off against the West Virginia offense West Virginia again that two that two points per drive a mark of a good team they're below that um, at 1.83 they're number 77 in the country Texas on defense is right above it at 216 so they're top 50 number 44 in the country but I think something to look at here is again and we talk about it all the time does Texas make a team one-dimensional does Texas force a team to get off schedule does Texas um, pin its ears back on third down um, do they create turnovers like those those things are things to watch because um, they they haven't really and this this more than any game even more so than Oklahoma State if you can force Jarrett Dagey to have to be the hero you win that game and so I'm I'm curious to see because I have full faith in Chris Ash and I will I will stand on every table that's available for Chris Ash at this point. So I'm curious to see what Chris Ash um, schemes up to keep Letty Brown from getting going, because if you can do it to Chuba Hubbard, you can do it to Letty Brown. I'm just going to go ahead sure. and throw that one out there. So what do they scheme up to keep Letty Brown from getting going and force Jarrett Dagey to be the one that beats you? And we may get freezing cold takes that like crazy for this. But if Jarrett Dagey has to be the one to win a game for you, you're probably not going to win the game. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the people picking West Virginia towards the bottom of the conference in the preseason this year had a lot to do with, with the offense, right? I, I don't think anyone doubted the defense. I think every 
everyone thought that, you know, Letty Brown is your most dangerous weapon and he's, he's a fine weapon, but they don't really necessarily have receivers who, who scare you. Certainly not as much as a Tyler Wallace um, or anywhere in that league. Um, and, and, and again, their, their quarterback probably in a, in a, in a quarterback league, right? Like the big 12 is a quarterback league is probably in the bottom two or three, you know, quarterbacks, right? I, I just think maybe, maybe, maybe he gets the seventh best in, you know, can f- fight for six. I don't know, but I, I see him towards that bottom tier, certainly. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is a chance. We talked a lot in our in our recap episode about Oklahoma State about this defense taking steps forward, right? OU was not perfect. It was not great, but, it, you know, they did some winning things. TCU, even in a bad game, they did some winning things. They've kind of progressed, especially after that OU game when they, they reset a bit and had the bye week. They, they, they came in and, and did some good things against Baylor. They did, um, I think, enough, certainly, um, against a not great offensive unit, gave them that confidence. I think they did some good things against Oklahoma State. Were they perfect? No, but they did some good things, some absolute winning things. I think that growth of that defense, if you continue on this trajectory again, this is probably much closer, much, 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 much closer to a a uh, Baylor-level l- offense than, than an Oklahoma State-level offense. You know, if you get a chance to um, – feel good about yourself. This should be a game that the defense get more takeaways. That's great. Help the offense out, but also get them off the field, get the ball back in your offense's hands. Like I, I I see this being a, a make yourself feel good game for the defense. I think there's, talent advantage at every level on the UT side. Now that has been the case in past years and West Virginia didn't care. They love playing Texas. We say that every week, but team, this is another team that, that views Texas as a, as a hated opponent. I don't know if I'd call them a rival. I think some might, but um, how, again, one way that's how they feel, but I, I think they're going to get up for it. But again, I, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I feel like the Texas defense has enough talent, has been trending the right direction, and matches up relatively well with what what West Virginia is going to try to do. That's the big thing. And again, um, I think the fact that the linebackers have seemingly turned a corner for Texas uh, plays in their favor, especially on a team that's looking to run first. I think if you if you look at what what Texas can do, like you've got you've got T Sweat, you've got. Snacks, Coburn, guys that can that can create some havoc in the middle of of a defensive or an offensive front, and force you to, to go to the outside. And, and if you go to the outside against D. Overshone at this point, I think that's a loss for you. Um, D. Overshone, I think, has probably turned into a pretty solid run stop. Now, I won't say solid run stopper, but he's he's capable and competent. Uh, he's no longer a liability as as a run stopping sure. linebacker. And so, um, I think. When you look at what West Virginia is going to try to do on offense, again, this is where this the 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 Texas offense against the West Virginia defense gives me pause. The Texas defense against the West Virginia offense, this is where I start to feel where I start to feel some sort of optimism about how this game can turn out. Just because I think the Texas defense is so good, and again, we could be eating crow. You know, sure. five yeah. days from now, we should totally be like, oh, this is awkward. But I really think, um, and I think you said it really well, that what West Virginia wants to do schematically plays into Texas's inherent strength, inherent strengths, like where I think Texas has some flaws and has um, a lot of room to grow as a pass defense. I think as a run defense, we've seen it already. I mean, if 
again, I, I said it, but if you can hold Chuba Hubbard to two nine per carry, if if Letty Brown does more than that, then I don't know what I, I don't know what you're doing uh, because there there's one more back I think on Chuba Hubbard's level, uh, and they'll they'll face them in Iowa State here in a little bit. But um, I don't think Letty Brown is on that level, and so if you can shut down the run once again. That's a W for you on defense. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think, um, again, looking looking to the the comparable level of talent they've played, um, I think Jared Deggy is 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 gonna have to have his best day, and I think Texas run defense is gonna have to have, you know, their worst day. It's gonna have to be it'll be, it'll be similar to an OU where a guy who probably doesn't have the talent that deserves the output that he got or didn't get game plan for and so kind of snuck through in TJ Pledger. Uh, I think Letty Brown they have more tape on. They know how they want to run him, but the, you know the worst case scenario is that that you have Letty Brown going uh, and having a TJ Pledger day against you like we saw against OU. I really like I said truly and maybe I'm just optimistic based on how they were able to perform against Chuba feel rel- relatively confident. But I, w- I am actually curious. The thing that I'll be watching a bit is is you know um, TJ Simmons, Winston Wright, some of the receivers they have. They, they're not deep. They don't have a ton. But they, they have guys who, who you know if, if Texas gets one-on-one again and they're able to, to get free have some speed. Um, and, and so you know we'll see if, if there's any deep balls at play. Um, I think against that Oklahoma State defense, Winston Wright did have a 70-yard touchdown. So, um, you know, they beat some man coverage, and then he just – no one caught him. So, you know, if Texas can avoid that, take away the big play, don't let them get it because if they're just going to go out and run 60 plays and you're going to run 60 plays, you're going to win that. Like, you're, you're better – so much better on the offensive side that you're going to win that. But if you give up those home runs, if you let something slip, if you miss something, you know, that th- those are the plays that come back to haunt you. Again, those that's what haunted Texas – early in the season, right, against those those three – I almost said three losses because Tech feels like a loss in so many ways. <laughs> uh, but in the in the one win over Tech and the loss to, to TCU and OU, right – it it wasn't it wasn't this slow bleed to death. It was like Texas gave up chunks. Texas yeah. gave up chunks. Yep. Texas gave up chunks. And we talked about chunk plays and, and the impact it had on those games last week. Whereas I think Texas didn't do that in these last two games. There were chunk plays. Like don't get me wrong, say Texas completely lim- eliminated chunk plays. But going from eleven to six is a massive massive improvement. So yeah. um, if Texas can continue to limit those chunk plays. That's that's really where they make their money, and that's where they'll continue to keep uh, the lid on a team and the lid on a, on an offense that shouldn't roast you, right? They put up a bunch of points against Kansas, but that's what everybody does is you yeah. put up a bunch of points against Kansas. They put up a bunch of points against Texas Tech because everybody does that. I don't know what happened against Kansas State. I can't explain that one. That was that one was just a that I don't know. I mean, Kansas State's having some quarterback issues. I think at um, least one of their touchdowns was a pick six. So. Subtract yeah. seven from that score, but yeah, yeah I I agree with you. That so was thirty points. Yeah, that is that is still by far their biggest output. Still, yeah, and against a, t- a defense that's been pretty solid all year. So let's let's dive in real quick on the special teams because I this is this is one that I don't know how to call it, Kyle, because I think West Virginia has pretty decent special teams. I think I think Kansas State is <laughs> Kansas State is special teams. You uh, Kansas is. Tyler Sumter, their punter, 20 punts, 797 yards total, which is a basically 40 per. Pretty solid. 12 of his 20 punts have gone for a fair catch. Nine of his 20 punts have been inside the 20, and two of them have been 50 or longer. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on because 
Texas managed to flip the field a couple of times, both with its punting and with its punt returning or its you know, kick returning uh, on Saturday against Oklahoma State. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and then Evan Staley, their place kicker, has been average at best. I mean, 66%, uh, 6 of 9 for the year. He's when He gets real dicey when it gets longer than 40. He's 2 of 3 from 40-plus and 0 for on the 50-pluses. But again, only 9 attempts on the year. Not a ton uh, of work in, in data to extrapolate on there for uh for the special teams unit uh, at west virginia yeah and, and i don't think we have to say that the formula for every texas game has to be what we saw against oklahoma state where we raved about our special teams i don't necessarily need a, a return touchdown every week hey i'd love it i i certainly wouldn't mind that i think you know jameson's owed one he should have got one against gets TCU but um yeah I, I think we don't have to have that if if we can keep that punt unit solid where we flipped it from being um you know a a, a unit that struggled blocking and protecting the punter and letting him feel comfortable enough to boom those off to, to actually finding something where he was great in Oklahoma State if we can find you know a middle where we're just consistent and we're solid there I think that you know matching these up that that this doesn't as long as we're good right as long as it's it's not a complete f it's not the texas tech game where it's a blocked punt you know giving up a score an onside kick that you give up it's multiple special teams blunders and things oklahoma we had multiple um as long as you know we're not talking about special teams then again i don't want this to be an area where it's like wow you know offense was okay and defense actually played pretty good but special teams and that's how west virginia snuck in because why is Kansas State special teams you? Because if you have less talent than the other team, the easiest way to flip a game to to change the standard punch for punch is to flip the script, flip the narrative on special teams. So if West Virginia is putting all their eggs in a basket, if they saw something on film or they know, hey, Texas had punts blocked, this is how we do it. Um, you know, if we're not talking about it in our recap, then I, I call that a win, right? Let's let's just keep special teams at bay this week. Yeah, we didn't have a ton to talk about in our special teams recap other than a massive turn because, well, the special teams wasn't a glaring sieve for uh, that game. So here's hoping that Jay Bolware listened to the podcast, mm-hmm. heard me cuss his name, and decided to get his life in order. <laughs> That's the only explana- explanation that could be possible for the, the marked improvement. So, Kyle, it's that time. Yeah. Still my least favorite part of the week, <laughs> but I got it right this last week. Yeah. I went two for... I am still trailing. I think the the tally was four to negative two. I think was the was the stretch. I believe so. So yeah, I believe so. Six point lead for you. So if if we go one for two for the rest of the season, I'll still lose. Uh, but that's totally fine. But that's <laughs> that's Gerald. That's not who I am. Because I am a man of grace, a man of honor. I'm going to give you two. So I could I could potentially plunder here. This could be a four-point swing if you get both and I miss both. So I'm going to give you two this week. But, again, being being admirable to you, we'll do them um, onesie-twosies. I'll go first, you go second. Or you give your first, then I'll do my second. Um, does that sound good? Sounds great. Kyle, what's your first one? All right. So, Gerald, I think that even without Keontae Ingram in this game, I feel pretty confident that Texas is going to – just try to try to keep this game easy. Keep it uh, keep it copacetic. Nothing too crazy. So they're going to try to run the ball. Keep keep Sam from again having to throw the ball a bunch. I think they're going to establish the game. So I'm going to predict that our running game, just the running backs in the game. I'm not going to say anything for any one in particular, but for the combined two running backs, or maybe there's a third one who comes, but for our running backs from that position that we are going to have over 130 yards rushing combined between our two 
running backs. I feel pretty good about that. Looking at, at what you know, West Virginia has given up this season. What Texas, you know, has has on their their roster. I feel pretty good. 130 from the running back position. I think that's a fair fair assessment. So I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a defensive one before you steal what I want to steal. I think Texas is gonna hold Letty Brown to 100 yards or fewer on Saturday. I think. Texas is going to um, scheme up a way, much like they did with Chuba Hubbard, to put the game all on the quarterback. So I think Letty Brown is going to finish the game with 100 yards or fewer on Saturday. Love that. Um, I, I, I feel good about that one too, Gerald. I think you're good there, uh, hopefully. Um, I, all right, so the other one, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of – I was worried you were, you were stealing mine for a second, but um, Texas – Gave up a lot of yards to one guy, Tylen Wallace. Uh, had I think 397 yards. Now it felt like it, but um, had had almost 200 yards against Texas last week. But that was Texas' first time giving up 100 yards to a receiver. So I'm not going to take the easy route and say that Texas defense will not give up a 100 yard receiver because that feels too easy. That feels too simple. I'm going to even go further and say Texas will not give up more than 80 yards to any one receiver. Uh, no, no, nobody's getting dunked on all game. Um, and, and their man going over 80 yards to one receiver for West Virginia. I like it. I like it. So um, my Texas offensive prediction for this week is that Sam Ellinger gets back to his 200-yard ways. I think Sam Ellinger eclipses the 200-yard mark uh, after snapping his, what, I think it was 18-game uh, streak of 200-yard performances. I think Sam Ellinger gets back in the saddle again against West Virginia. That's a fair one. I think you're you're on the side of the numbers, and I appreciate you there. If 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 he starts a new trend where it's consecutive weeks of under 200, then we we do need to start worrying a bit about what's going on uh, in the season. So I think that's both of yours, Gerald. I I, I read them as I'm rooting for them as well because I think you hit it on the head. Those are keys to success. All right, so. Folks, I know you tune in for the Potstradamus. You tune in to see me rub Gerald's nose in it. I'm not going to do that. We, we're going to keep it moving. Don't, don't turn the pot off. we got some good stuff for you still. We're going to do a quick burn orange lenses. Um, and before I jump into the Longhorns in the NFL, I did have a burn orange lens that I didn't necessarily expect to find. But uh, the um, there is a, a burnt orange connection to the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, bringing home the World Series. Um, and, and I didn't know this right at first, but I uh, was actually looking. So the Dodgers are owned by the Guggenheim Group, and, and there's multiple uh, owners listed. But um, I think there's uh, I think there's eight list, uh, listed. Um, there's some names you've heard in here. Um, Irvin Magic Johnson. Uh, Billie Jean King. Yeah, that one. Um, Robert Plummer, I assume. Uh, Robert Palmer, the actor, hopefully. Uh, and there's a couple others that you may not know quite as well. Alan Smolensky, Alana Kloss, etc. Peter Goober, uh, Todd Bowley. Um, but uh, there is a Texas connection, and I'm getting there. So Robert, Bobby, Patton Jr., a Texas ex, a generous donor to the UT uh, athletics program, uh, himself a, a Texas, uh, I think Fort Worth guy, uh, who, who made it made it good um, in the in the oil and gas world and has enough money to buy baseball teams would also continue to support uh, UT Athletics. So um, congratulations to a tangential World Series victory for the University of Texas. All right, let's move it on to the, to the NFL. Gerald, I know you're not the baseball guy, professional baseball. You only like the Longhorns, so I'm going to leave that one and not make you tell on that. You do like 
football, especially your fantasy team. So let me know how your fantasy team's doing with any of the Longhorns or teams they played uh, on it. I'm going to start where I always start, unfortunately, this week with a loss, but with the Baltimore Ravens as they have three prevalent Longhorns. I did like Devin Duvernay. On a critical third and 14, had his only catch of the day, 39 yards. Uh, surprisingly, uh, it is a tough Steelers defense, but was the second leading yardage receiver for for the Ravens. Never a good sign uh, when 39 is your number two. But he also had a kick return for 20, so good good day for him. All his touches uh, were productive. Would love to see him, again, get some more. Justin Tucker only one field goal, but consecutive weeks of over 50 yards uh, field goals. So that's fantastic. The man is is you know a machine. Uh, three for three from extra point. And then Deshaun Elliott is a guy who might get my vote for Longhorn of the Week this week. Seven tackles, one tackle for a loss, one sack, one forced fumble. They didn't pull out the win, but if they would have, you would have heard a lot of people say it might have been because uh, Elliott, he just, he was, he was, their sure tackler in the secondary. There's multiple plays that if he didn't make the tackle, Steelers had a lot of green in front of him. And so I think um, people are being surprised because he was, he's was he been hurt most of his NFL career. He was the next man up, obviously, when Earl Thomas was was released from that team. Wasn't necessarily projected as a starter, but he's played really, really well. And this might have been his best uh, NFL game. So, uh, again, hook him and kudos to Mr. Elliott, the Joker. You know, he's a he's a guy that maybe it's rankled some Texas exes and rankled some Texas podcast hosts, we'll just say it. Um, but um, when it comes to supporting him, we're always going to throw the horns up. And so it's good to see him, um, especially being kind of Earl Thomas's backfill there, which mm-hmm. is always good to see. Um, a Longhorn replace a Longhorn in the NFL because that's Texas gets knocked a little bit for its NFL pedigree on the recruiting trail. But there be a lot of Longhorns in the NFL. That's right, and that's why I have a whole segment to do here. Another guy who we've talked about a lot this year, Marcus Johnson, continues to be one of the favorite targets of Phillip Rivers for that Colts team. They got a victory this week, obviously largely in part to his two catches for 39 yards. And then Gerald, a member of maybe the unit of the week, Dolphins defender, uh, safety, Brandon Jones racked up three tackles, um, but the Dolphins defense did not rest there. What a day. What a day that was, Gerald. Give us our quick how you feeling about the Dolphins right now. I take back some of the terrible things I said that <laughs> about them earlier in the season. Uh, they seem to figure something out, but I still refuse to have hope that they'll be any good moving forward. I mean, if you had the Dolphins defense special teams on your fantasy team this year, that was a good or this week, that was a good move. Um, I don't know how many they scored, but it was not a, a small number. Um, a, a team that scored just a little bit too small of a number would have liked to see get the victory because they they keep their their steady dose of two Longhorns on this team. There's three, but they'll only play two at a time. The stalwart, of course, of the Tennessee Titans I'm referring to. Kenny Vaccaro got four tackles. But the big news, Gerald, did you see this? Five carries for 37 yards, uh, an average of over seven yards a carry. Mr. Dante Foreman for the first game I think he's played in, in years just came out uh, electric and had the second most carries after obviously the, the Alabama Giant uh, monster who he backs up in Tennessee. Did you see that? Uh, I absolutely did not see it, but <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with Deontay. We, we knew that's that who that's who Deontay is. Um, he's he's kind of the Diet Coke or Coke Zero version of that, and so right. I'm glad to see that they're basically they're like draft ba- not the little brother, but there's not like they're they're like hey we got we got a thing that works, and so let's yeah. find any guy that tangentially fits that mold and just continue to pound the rock. I like that. I, I think maybe even the dreadlocks sold it, but no, I think I think Vrabel was at, at, at the Texans when he was there, and, and 
least had a shine to him enough to give him a shot. And I think he probably earned himself some time again of his 37, probably at least 25 of those. Uh, and admittedly, I just watched a highlight clip of all of his runs. I did not watch the game live, um, but about uh, 25 from what I could tell those 37 yards look like yards after contact, which is what you expect from Foreman, a man who's got a lot of energy stored up uh, and ready to get out. It just looked like he was running hard, running downhill. There was one that, only the sideline got him. If he could have had an extra four yards wide, he probably had an, a 60-yard touchdown. He, he ran along the sideline another 20 yards because you knew he wanted it. He's ready to break one. So excited for him. Jeff Swaim did not play, but uh, still keep those two Longhorns in there. Uh, New England Patriots uh, also unable to get a win but did have successful Longhorn participation. Adrian Phillips keeping it going in that secondary. Kind of been the surprise of their defense. Uh, five tackles, one for a loss. Um, now the Saints, Gerald, um, they pulled out a win in overtime. Malcolm Brown, big Malk, um, had uh, a half tackle for a loss and four total tackles. Did a good job holding that Bears running game uh, to you know under 100 yards. Look, look good. But there was a defensive tackle, unfortunately, who did not play, but still made news. Malcolm Roaches, it was held out with injury. But did you see Malcolm Roaches' Halloween costume? He may he may be from New from Louisiana, but that dude acclimated to Texas. That's right. <laughs> That's right. The the booby miles you want to win, but let let booby spin. Uh, costume was was incredible. I mean, if you've seen Friday Night Lights the TV show and not seen the movie, or or honestly the, read the book, which is significantly better, um, it, it, go go check it out. But but Malcolm Roach, the world's largest booby miles impersonator, um, his his Instagram of him walking in the locker room and the, the, the other players reacting shows why he's a team player and favorite because they, they just go nuts for him even at the NFL level. I'll, I'll speed through the rest. I think that's the highest points, but Malcolm Brown, um, 10 rushes for 40 yards, two catches for 17 yards, a solid outing uh, for him for the Rams, uh, but unfortunately wasn't enough. They still lost. P.J. Locke continuing to get some playing time on special teams. He had a tackle on special teams and was very close to actually blocking a punt this week, so we keeping an eye on him uh, if he can keep making that uh contribution now for Cowboys fans sorry Connor Williams did play in in just a putrid Dallas loss um the 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 quarterback play was so bad that actually the word on the street Gerald is that Garrett Gilbert might be the Dallas Cowboys quarterback this week the originator of the Texas to SMU train that you and I ride for every player that transfers out of this university uh yeah I mean we're of course talking about Super Bowl uh, champion uh, Garrett Gilbert, but 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan fell uh, his record down to f- uh, 500 with four and four this week with the loss. Uh, Vikings, uh, we did finally get to say something here. Holton Hill still hurt, but Chris Boyd came back for injury. He had two tackles this game and then left this time injuring his leg. Um, yeah, you hope for some some health for those guys up there. Um, they did get a win over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, I think only their second of the year. Trey Hopkins, speaking of injuries, in the protocol for concussion last week, this was the first game he's missed um, all season, uh, first minutes he's, he's been out of the game when he got knocked out, but they expect him to be back after the bye, so we'll keep an eye on him. Um, Alex Okafor, um, we said before, assigned to the IR for the Chiefs, but actually Hassan Ridgeway joins him on the season-ending IR, unfortunately with a torn biceps and and if you look at the pro football focus for the interior lineman for the Eagles, he was their highest graded. So uh, sad to see. Um, we did have bye weeks from the Texans, Cards, and Jags, so, so no news there. We'll finish it up where we always do, the Seattle Seahawks. Quandre Diggs playing playing big. Quandre the Giant, six tackles. Puna Ford himself, four tackles. Maybe my favorite play of the, the NFL week. He, he did that Puna thing he does. Um, he read a – they ran almost like a PA boot screen, if you're familiar 
with the old school uh, NCAA play. Um, and, and they they booted the quarter quarterback naked out to the right and threw back a screen to the other sideline to the left with a whole grip of blockers. But what they didn't account for was a 300-pound, very quick defensive tackle running it down from behind, tackling a screen for a loss in the backfield. Michael Dixon also continues to be amazing for punts with a 54-yard average. He leads the NFL with punts inside the 20. The Seattle Seahawks continue to be University of Texas North, uh, Northwest, because you've got Maryland and the Ravens, so you've got the split there. So Northwest, I love seeing Quandre Diggs. Come on, Quandre. Uh, He's one of my favorite players in the last 20 years of, of Texas football. You gotta love them. I mean, we're we're third coast here. That's obviously the east and west coast. You can pick a team on each. Um, so, Gerald, we're gonna do a quick quick uh, hit on the the Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, Mandalorian's back. So, fired through that one. Really, really strong episode. Um, really strong work from Timothy Oliphant in that one. So, if you're mm. a Timothy Oliphant fan of mm. Justified and or Deadwood fame, he basically plays the same character in everything. Yes. And this one was no exception. He basically is a marshal in a Wild West Star Wars town, uh, and he's a gunslinger, which is super cool to watch. Um, but he 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 does his best um, Deadwood slash Justified slash Timothy Oliphant in a western, and it absolutely stinking works in Star Wars. Uh, if you are a Star Wars person, you're not watching Mandalorian. What's wrong with you? Uh, especially if you're like into like the non movie stuff, like the books and the comics. Check it out because it's basically one of us, Dave Filoni, and another one of us, John Favreau, being like, "Hey, nerds, here's some cool stuff." I, I love. Does I'm going to ask a question, Gerald, on behalf of myself, of course, but also all of our female listeners. Does he wear a cowboy hat? Uh, he does not. Hmm. But he's got a real strong mustache double combination. Okay. 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 So, so if you remember what his hair situation was like, kind of the like it's it's gone from salt and pepper to like heavy salt, a little bit of pepper, hmm. and uh, I mean, Timothy Oliphant is one of the most handsome men that's ever walked the face of the planet. So, like, it's just working for him. And and again, he's got he's got the 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 strong Western mustache with the good stubble. Um, and he gives he gives he gives a typical um, Timothy Oliphant speech in it, which is just it's it's he's chewing the scenery. And I absolutely love it. Well, consider me an Olaf fan. Um, I, I I still haven't actually watched the original Mandalorian. I know I'm terrible. Uh, I need to catch up on that. I have Disney Plus now, so I'll make sure I get there. So what I did watch this week, big news, folks. I know we get to these sections and we talk a little bit about our personal lives. Maybe y'all hate it. It seems like you like it. Uh, tweet at us if you don't like it. Uh, hashtag replies to Texas. Hashtag stop talking about your personal lives. Um, Seems like we talk a little bit here, and I've told you my wife sometimes just gets out quick on my shows. And then it ends up being a me show, and then I, I don't watch it because there's us shows anyways. What has happened is I powered through Peaky Blinders when she was kind of in the vicinity. And she'd sleep on the couch, or she was in the other room right next where she could hear it. And all of a sudden, as season two has been going, her ears have perked up a bit. And it's gotten good, and there's a little more drama, and you know, Celine Murphy's still a handsome devil, and um, you know, all of a sudden, Bane is now in there as a uh, wonderful British uh, Jewish um, mobster, you know, uh, Tom Hardy, and all of a sudden, it's a bit more interesting. And I noticed about episode about halfway through the second season, she's sitting on the couch when I'm watching Peaky Blinders, and then it's, hey, what are we gonna watch to get? Well, I'll just put Peaky Blinders on, and now she's full fledged after the season two. I've only gone through two seasons but after the season two finale which was 
nuts and amazing and, and, and very good. That's not true. We did start episode one of season three, but um, was amazing. Um, she's in. So I'm back, baby. I'm Peaky Blinders and powered through. Probably by next week, by the time we get here, I'll be done because I got her on board, and we're gonna be we're gonna be full on binging the blinders. There, there are those those people that like when you see them on screen, you just kind of stop. And and Tom Hardy is on that list, which is like, oh, Tom Hardy's in this. Yes. Let me sit down and settle in for six hours of this. I don't know. I forgot to add this to my Godzilla Tron. Um, and you know how much I hate giving you credit. <laughs> but my wife and I sat down and started watching Ted Lasso, mm. and you somehow undersold how good that show is. <laughs> like somehow you were you were so effusive in your praise, and you undersold it. Like I am laughing out loud. It does that thing that I love about Scrubs, where it's like hilarious, 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 emotional right hook, and it's it's <laughs> it's good. It's funny. Like Jason Sudeikis is perfect. Like I I, he, I love him and everything, but he's absolutely perfect in this. And yeah, I think it's somehow like this is this is the most ringing endorsement because I I always like bring my wife's perspective into this because I'm, I'm a weirdo. My wife is a normal person. And like my wife loved, like my wife is the driving force behind us watching that. Like she is absolutely in love with the show and she doesn't laugh out loud at things normally when we watch them. And she's actively laughing out loud, which is um, a welcome, a welcome thing in this current day and age where we're still without power and uh, we're both sleep deprived from having two children. We're not only the Wiley Hive, but we're the Lasso Hive, folks. If you haven't done it, get on the jump on the the, 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 the bandwagon. There's still room, but there won't be for long. I mean, probably another six, three months, you're going to be a follower when it's the biggest show in the world. So um, I don't know if that will ever be true, but honestly, it, it is the best thing Apple TV has, has made. It's very good. Uh, use your one week free trial if if you know if nothing else and, and and check it out. It's it's very very good. It's it's my favorite new thing I've discovered in a long time. The same. But that's what we've got for you <laughs> this week, Kyle. Where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at gh Troll. The show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at Gmail and just because we love you, we've got a little bit of a bonus content for you this week. Uh, so Kyle, because he is just way more well connected than I am, managed um, to connect with his old with his friend Sam Acho uh, to come on the podcast. Sam's got a new book out, and it's actually I, I've read I've read a little bit of it. It's actually really really good. It's an incredible book. Um, so Sam came on. He talked a little bit of Texas football and, and reacted to the Oklahoma State game. Uh, he also came on and talked about his book, talked about his philosophy. He even um, he may or may not have spit some bars for you. Let's go ahead and say that. But uh, as part of him coming on the podcast, we actually have the incredible opportunity of, of a contest, a raffle even if you want to call it, to get a signed copy of his book. So all you got to do is we're going to um, we're gonna put out a tweet. We're going to pin a tweet. At the top of our Twitter page, you got to be following us on Twitter, obviously. You got to like the tweet. You got to retweet the tweet to be entered into the drawing. You also have to be, obviously, hopefully subscribed to the podcast uh, to be a part of it. So that's what you have to do to be entered. If you want some additional entries to the raffle, we'll let you we'll let you put a put an extra ticket in the raffle box. You can also like us on Facebook. We'll have a post on our Facebook page that you can share. That will be your additional raffle entry uh, to win the Sam Acho signed copy of his book. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook 'em, hook 'em. West Virginia's only good and awesome because they can't wait to be out of Morgantown. <laughs>